Welcome to this week's podcast from Capital Church's Young Adult Service. We hope this message encourages you, and thank you for joining us. Article that said American society and culture is in a severe decline. The survey revealed that 78% of respondents from all cultures and political affiliations said the American society and culture is in a state of decay. That is the New York Times, which is surprising. We are losing, and this is actually wrong, Dad. It's 1.2 million kids a year out of the church. It's remarkable. 80% of people who attend church do not have a biblical worldview. Do I need to hold it this close? How's it sound to you guys? Down a little bit? Okay. Hold it close. All right, I'll hold it close. They're recording. It's going to be all over. (laughs) A plurality of Gen Z considers personal achievement, 43%, and hobbies, 42%, most important to their sense of self. All other generations consider family at the top of the list. Only one-third of teens believe lying is wrong, compared to three out of five elders. I'm considered an elder millennial. (laughs) Elder millennial. Who was that? I shouldn't say her name. It was a comedian. (laughs) One in eight describe their sexual orientation as something other than heterosexual. Those who identify as bisexual make up more than half of the proportion. Seven out of ten believe it's acceptable to be born one gender and feel like another. Three in ten teens report personally knowing someone, most often a peer who has changed his or her gender identity. Two-thirds of youth pastors say their biggest struggle is parents who don't prioritize their teens' spiritual growth. Rob, would you agree with that? (laughs) One-third says undoing what the world teaches teens is their biggest struggle. Gen Z is the least Christian generation in American history. 4% of Gen Z have a biblical worldview. 7 out of 10 teens say all religions are equal. Only 20% believe that homosexuality is wrong. 29% believe abortion is wrong. And I didn't have the statistic, but millennials, the percentage for who believed homosexuality was wrong was 74. That's a massive drop. So 74 to 20, that's big. 29% believe abortion is wrong. 31% believe morality changes over time. 10% believe absolute truth is knowable. Crazy. Actually, I'm not done with that one yet. This is what's come to define us. Secular ideology, I'll break down a few of them. An attitude or political ideology aiming to eradicate religion from public or social life, or at least regulate and control religion and especially limit its influence. Gender ideology, the alternate gender of identities. Godless identity, someone who believes there is no god or gods, the collective identity work of contemporary American atheists. Shallow theology, no need to delve into that. Excessive materialism, we all know what that is, right? Who always wants the next iPhone. I know I do. (laughs) So guilty. Um, Entitled hedonism, the ethical theory that pleasure, in the sense of satisfaction or desires, is the highest good and proper aim of human life. Who knows people like that? Depressive nihilism, the rejection of all religions and moral principles, and the belief that life is meaningless. These are some of the things that have come to define our cultural moment. When I say the word trauma, what comes to your mind? Abuse, okay? More. Neglect. Hurt. That's good. Reisman Minute calls trauma this, a wordless story our body tells itself about what is safe and what is a threat. 
One pastor says this, it's the state of woundedness and the story that arises from living in that state. The psychologist Kurt Thompson categorizes trauma this way. There are two types of trauma. Type one, I didn't put it up there, I'm gonna read it for you. This trauma refers to a single incident that are unexpected that wound us instantly. One in five were sexually abused. One in three couples engage in physical violence. One in every four has a relative addicted to alcohol and one in eight children, children witnesses their mother being beaten. Or accidental events like a traumatic car accident or the loss of a loved one or a medical issue that's also a complex type one trauma like being passed around from home to home in the foster care system or the departure of a parent at a young age or blindness from birth. Type one is more immediate and more physical. Type two, type two, a lot of us, most of us have dealt with type true, type two. This trauma refers to more complex trauma experiences. This almost always involves someone that is close to us, like a parent or an uncle or a relative or an authority figure. This is often very subtle over time. Often this type of trauma is so subtle that it's hard to recognize or name it as trauma. It makes it difficult to trace this trauma back to our wounds. Example, it inflicts pain just as violently, but ever so subtle. It becomes the lens with which how we see reality. Type two is a shame that we carry. I'll say this, when I was, my first childhood memory with my dad was seven years old. And some of you guys might have this one. Working in the garage with my dad, we were framing, and I kept bending nails. You know how you hammer? I kept bending them. And at one point, I remember to say, just go inside. You're causing more work. That, that is trauma. That's categorized as shame because you're looking for somebody's approval. You're looking to spend time with somebody. But when you don't uh, meet their expectations and then they lash out in a hurtful way, it's a trauma you carry. Did anybody have anything like that? <laughs> Tyler Staten says this. Biblically, the theme of trauma is depicted as hiding. Adam and Eve stepped outside of God's loving provision and care because they trust a deceiver who wants to wound them instead of the good shepherd who wants to shelter and protect them. You see, trauma is a wordless story our body tells itself. What is safe or what is a threat? Trauma is the state of woundedness and the story that arises from living in that state. There is no version of life outside of Eden that avoids pain. We all live traumatized somewhat. So the question I ask is, how have you been wounded? What violent or subtle ways have you been hurt? What type one or type two traumas are you carrying? Or biblically, in what ways are you hiding? Have you ever been wounded? Have your wounds become to define you? If we look at our cultural moment, there is a direct correlation between the trauma we carry and the way we live out our lives. When we live from a wounded state, it gives us a skewed perspective of everything. Here's some slides on what trauma can cause. And this is just a quick little idea of some things. Hopelessness, nightmares, flashbacks, startled responses, shame, self-hatred, panic attacks, all can come from words. I can share slides too. I see some of you taking pictures. Eating disorders, substance abuse, self-destructive behaviors, disassociation. It also leads into attachment styles as adults. So for me, I would say, based on my upbringing, I would, I would have categorized myself for the first 30 years of my life as preoccupied, insecure in uh, intimate relationships, 
constantly worries about rejection and abandonment, preoccupied with relationships. But because of the work of the Holy Spirit, I now live in the autonomous, comfortable with a warm, loving, and emotional close relationship. But look at some of the others, unresolved. Unresolved mindset and emotions cannot tolerate emotional closeness in relationships. Or dismissive, keeps loved ones at arm length. Emotional distance and rejection to intimate relationships. This is an interesting stat. Children without fathers are 500% more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, 900% more likely to drop out of school, and 2,000% more likely to end up in prison. John Tyson says this. Of course, I'm going to get John Tyson quote, right? Trauma isn't just being wounded. It's the story that arises from living wounded. The pain we live with eventually causes us to compensate. So in what ways are you compensating? Our pain, our trauma, causes us all to compensate, but ignoring pain or trauma can lead to chronic pain. There's a couple other stats. 63% of youth suicides, 90% of youth runaways, 85% of youth behavioral disorders, 80% of rapists, 71% of all high school dropouts, 75% of youth patients. A lot of you don't know I was a high school dropout because my parents divorced. 75% of youth patients in chemical abuse centers, 85% of all youth prisons come from homes without a father present. Last one. The impact of a family member coming to Christ in the family. Crazy. So we talked about chronic pain. Let me show you this. All right, can anybody see that? It's kind of hard to see, though. Okay, on the right is a picture of my spine. Do you guys see a big difference from left and right? You see how I lost my lower curve? Pastor Ken does notice, but when I was moving the prayer center, <laughs> ah, dark days. <laughs> dark days. Pastor Tracy and Shane and I, I caught something from a U-Haul that ripped my back out of place that caused just severe injury and was locked up for months. Eventually it got better, but I had never dealt with the root. And so over time, what I didn't realize until I learned six months ago was that when it happened, and everybody's heard this story, I talk about my butt not working. My muscles in my butt were not firing. Either were my hamstrings. So what happened was my quads were pulling everything, and it was pulling my spine forward. So where you're supposed to have a pelvic tilt, my pelvic tilt was backwards, pulling my spine straight, which causes your discs to stick out, which hits nerve pain. So for the last four years, all I've had is just nerve pain radiating down my legs. And I knew last year the Holy Spirit was like, I'm going to heal you this year. And I didn't know there was some emotional healing that I was going to go through too, but there was also a back healing. And that was seeing, uh, what was it called? You know, just brain fart. When they stick the needles in you and they shock you. Acupuncturist. Basically turn the muscles back on, which is started, he calls it the Beyonce. You got to get the Beyonce back. And slowly, he said, it's going to take like 18 months, but eventually the muscles will build, and then I'll get that pelvic tilt back, and I won't have nerve pain. But I've basically been about three months free of nerve pain. So the root, the root. Well, I'm unorganized. Hold on here. Bear with me as I find my notes. I should have labeled them. I like this quote from Soul Keeping. Have you guys read this book, Soul Keeping? We all have issues in life that emanate from our souls, from parts of the soul that have been ignored. It is the human condition. We ignore our internal life, and as a result, we do not have the outside life that we desire. 
relationally or functionally. We get lost and we need help to be reminded to work on the internal life, the real one, our soul. And they have a short little story in here about soul work I want to read to you. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that now that no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money, so no one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post high in the mountains. Their springs went untended, twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed, but after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look blackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of uh, the sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired, and after yet another time, the springs were cleaned, the streams were pure, children played again on the banks. Illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. Isn't that good? So type two trauma. I've had a lot of type two trauma. That's taken me decades and decades to figure out. I remember when I was 15, my parents went through a very public divorce that was in the newspaper in Boise. My dad worked for the state. So it was something that was talked about. I was going to youth group. Pastor Ken was basically the pillar of my life and always has been the pillar of my life. Absolutely amazing, Pastor Ken, love you so much. Um, and our family walked through a pretty tumultuous time. And my mom was hurting, going through a pretty, pretty open public affair. And my mom used to always say, you're just like your father. But she said it from a place of hurting that I didn't understand then. And so I spent most of my life, probably a good, the next 15 years, trying not to be like my father. Wounds hurt. Those words hurt, right? But you, you got to understand the Holy Spirit makes you like your parents in some ways for a reason. But the question is, whose kingdom are you going to build for? So for me, for so many years of my life, of course I'm going to cry. I'm built for my kingdom. And I chased worldly aspirations. I climbed the corporate ladder. I was the youngest general man manager in the history of a company and the youngest area director. And it was all for the attention of my parents, the approval. Type 2 trauma is wounds that we carry. You only need the approval of your heavenly father. And I remember it was 10 years into marriage. My wife, I picked a fight with her on our anniversary. It was, it was brutal, probably the worst fight of our marriage. 
And don't fight with Mexicans. They fight dirty. <laughs> dirty. They say things that get into your soul. <laughs> uh, but I, I remember she said something that was so accurate, and she was so right, and it made me do a deep dive into the fact that I was almost trying to get her approval too instead of my Heavenly Father. My parents are incredible people now. Both of them still attend Capitol, divorced, leading small groups in prayer, most incredible people ever. God is so sovereign. Last year, I took my dad on a trip that he wanted to go on for 40 years. That's him sitting there. It's called the Bighorn Crags. But I wrote a letter to my dad, and I wanted to bless him and honor him and pray over him and forgive him because I saw him carrying a shame for almost 30 years. And this is that moment after. And I saw generational things cut off in her family. And too many times we're ignoring him and we're carrying him and we're passing him on to the next generation. We can't hide from our type two wounds and trauma. God will steward them for healing. God will exceed your expectations. Above all else, we are to guard our hearts, for out of it flows the issues of life. And how many of us are not guarding our hearts? How many of us are still biblically hiding? How many of us have those wounds that we've been carrying? Those words that were spoken of us from authority figures or parents or family members. It's type one, it's type two. I've seen more growth myself in the last decade than I did in the previous 30 years. My marriage, my relationships, my parents, my friends, my calling. Working through brokenness and seeking healing and breaking generational patterns of dysfunction is one of the greatest gifts we can give our family and friends. Tyler Satan says, Jesus is set apart from every other God, every other spiritual teacher, and every other divine claimer by this, his scars. Of all world religions, only Christianity dares to show us a God who is wounded. By his wounds, we are healed. Maybe you can't identify it right now, or maybe you feel it's just too trivial, but it matters. It matters. As, as something small as putting uh, nails in and knocking them over and your dad sending you inside because you're causing work, it still matters. It sets off a pattern of approval, recognition. You have to name it. So for me, it's my parents' divorce. You have to embrace it. The deep desire for my parents' approval. Own it. I, claimed the cor- I climbed the corporate ladder to get recognition. To understand it, I, I understand it shaped my sense of worth around accomplishment, not around Jesus. Extracted it. I needed to root my identity in Christ, not in accomplishments. And use, aware, use it. Be aware of the moments in transition in my kid's life. Give them my undivided attention. Danielle, will you come up? Get the keys. So the question is, are you tired of living out of your trauma? 
Are you tired of your story that is defined by your wounds? Are you tired of living out of your pain? Somehow it's become a part of us, or maybe you're just now becoming aware of pain and how it's slowly been defining you. But God wants to redeem us to the fullest of life. If you're not consciously aware of your brokenness, you won't be able to steward healing for the next generation. You'll end up just passing it on and consider it normal. Think about this question. What is it that you need to get rid of that you are dragging into this next generation or this next season of your life? We have to prioritize spiritual formation for the sake of this next generation. Whatever pain is not transformed is transferred. If you don't deal with it, you'll transfer it on. This is, this is a map of how we get to adulthood. We typically never get there because we don't deal with anything. But that's what it should look like. We've all been formed by something. Social media, family, friends, our workplace, culture, trauma, lack of parenting. But are we satisfied with where we are? The next step is to identify the stuff that has formed us for so long and move into deformation. We must be aware and address the graffiti that has corrupted our souls, our mind, and gotten in the way of who God has called us to be. Then we start that journey of counterformation, changing who we've become into what God says we are, which leads to transformation. And transformation gives us this confirmation that we are walking out the calling of God in our lives. There is no formation without repetition the spiritual practices. It's simple. It's pray. It's read your Bible. It's Sabbath. It's being community. It's confession. It's simple. For some of you, you've been stuck for so long that you've, you don't even know how to get out of it. You have no vision. You feel hopeless. You feel lost. This is the kingdom vision of the world. Removal of cultural pursuits. Removal of cultural thinking. Dealing with your stuff, <laughs> spiritual formation and training, long obedience in the same direction, a kingdom vision of the world. What matters is not the accomplishments you achieve. What matters is the person you become. It's Dallas Willard. The most important thing is your, in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. That's what will take you into eternity. You are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's universe. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything, every type one, every type two, every word that's been spoken over you, throw it off, that hinders the sin and, and, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. You may not realize it, but you're in the middle of the greatest decline in history. You're a witness of decline. Unless we do something radically different, all we will do with our legacy is manage decline. Most of the great moves of God in history happened when people were watching the decline and said, not on my watch. <laughs> not on my watch. I'm tired of this. You may actually be positioned at the greatest time of decline because you, you were the very people that God wanted to steward this next generation. 
We have to lean in. Don't miss this moment. We're in a transfer moment. It has to get into the heart of your generation. God is entrusting us with this moment. I saw this the other day. Don't drop the baton. I think about it all the time now. Don't drop the baton. It's time we address our own trauma, our words, our hurts. You don't have to carry it any longer. We have to stop hiding. We have to give up control. And control is what keeps us hiding. So in closing, I, I want us to just sit in this moment. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about what are the words, what are the type ones, what are the type twos that you've been carrying? I think we, we rush too much in life and we don't give the Holy Spirit room to just speak to us. We all have him and he's ready to heal you. So just sit for a moment. I want to go back into that song too. Thank you for joining us today. To stay connected with our community, you can follow us at Capital Young Adults.